Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude, a hospitality branding and design group. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. If you enjoy the podcast, please be sure to leave us a review. Thank you for your support. In today's episode, we speak with Corey Weathers, co-founder and CEO at Rome Beyond, a concept that brings mobile living experience and refined off-the-grid lodging unlike any other, using environmentally conscious materials designed in modern and interesting ways. During our conversation, we learn about Corey's background and how the idea came to life, lessons that he's learned along the way, and the exciting future in store for Rome. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. We uh, we have been enjoying uh, seeing what you guys are doing at Rome Beyond and uh, just the experiences that you're creating. Um, and it's really exciting, uh, really wanting to visit one of these someday. Um, so uh, we're excited to talk about that with you today. Great. We can't, we can't wait to have you come visit. It's a, it's a pretty remarkable experience we put together. Yeah. So before we dive into, um, Rome and kind of the details and what that looks like, uh, we'd love to, for our listeners to know a little bit more about you, Corey, and kind of your personal journey and your career that's a path that has led you to where you're at today with Rome. Yeah, I you know I think my my background and the experiences I've had in life have have very much brought me to to where I am now and and the experiences that that we want to bring to the world and my business partner Jake and I have a, a lot of um, similar histories growing up and and kind of evolving as as individuals over the years and I think that's that's why we're in the place we are right now. Um, you know, I was I was pretty fortunate growing up to have a lot of time exploring outdoors. Um, we we lived in a very natural area outside Seattle, um, and early on, um, elementary school, middle school, I, I got very into um, outdoor activities like like mountain biking and rock climbing and and camping and exploring with friends and with family, and, and even had a chance to participate in a program in, in middle school called Outdoor Fitness, which was a pretty revolutionary program uh, that a teacher had put together that that taught kids the skills of camping and, and outdoor activities and outdoor pursuits. And I feel like it's something that should be taught in, in every school these days. Um, but um, um, but it really led me down a path of um, integrating those pieces a lot into my life. Um, and then I, I went to University of Oregon um, and um, got my bachelor's in environmental studies. And obviously um, with, with that kind of a, a mindset in the 90s, spent a lot of time outdoors down in, in Oregon as well. Um, and just kind of continued that that immersion, which is which is really what we promote in uh, at Rome Beyond, is immersing people in nature, and and you know it was not something I did intentionally. It was just what I enjoyed doing, and and being outdoors, and 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 going on trips and adventures with friends was a big part of my life. Um, all of that led me to um, um, spending some time at a place called Islandwood um, outside Seattle, which was on an island, um, Bainbridge Island, just outside Seattle. And it was one of the first. Um, true environmental education centers in the country. Um, and I did my first year of my uh, master's degree um, at that program. And it was actually a very formative time. It was their, their first full year of operation. And the whole idea was that Washington State had passed um, an education requirement that all fifth graders in Washington would receive so many hours of environmental education on an annual basis. And in order for that to happen, schools had to have a conduit to, um, to 
integrate that into the curriculum. So Islandwood built a program where kids would come for a four-day immersive program, um, overnight program, and um, and meet their their environmental education um, um, requirement for the state. But more than anything, give them a chance to truly be in a setting that a lot of these kids had never experienced. A lot of these kids were from um, uh, cities in in Seattle, and a lot of them had never left their neighborhood. I'll never forget we um, had a group that arrived one day, and we were walking down the trail with these fifth grade students. And one of them turned to me and said, "These trees are so big. When did you plant them?" Just like no concept that these trees had always <laughs> been there, that we had not uh, planted them as part of the experience. Um, but I think for me, that that kind of sent me down a course of really wanting to find more ways in my life to immerse people in um, in the outdoor world and in nature. Um, and, and so I went on to continue and get my master's in science education um, with really a focus on how, how we create a sense of place for people. Um, but um, I, I knew I didn't want to be a classroom teacher. Um, that was not that was not the pathway that I wanted to go down. I wanted to be focused more on bringing people those experiences in a different uh, in a different realm. So that led me into um, kind of a whole a whole pathway that has got me to to where I am now with with Rome Beyond. I was going to say that's a really cool um, kind of backstory, and I love the education aspect of it. Um, also, growing up doing outdoor activities, I. I think that's one thing that our generation, and I'm speaking yep. for millennials especially, really crave and really need is just um, getting away from the devices and the screens and um, just the memories that can be made in that outdoor experience. And so that, that's a really cool story about the, the kids program that you got to help build there. Well, and and I think what that propelled me down is is exactly what you're talking about is the idea that um, you know people do crave these experiences and they really want to have these experiences. They want to get outdoors, um, and in many ways, people want to do it in a sustainable and responsible way. But it takes a kind of a different level of knowledge in order to to be able to do that really really appropriately. Um, and so that kind of takes me on to the next phase of I think what what moved us towards um, Rome Beyond, and, and that was the, the development of, of homegrown trailers, which is kind of a cornerstone um, to, to the Rome Beyond experience. And, and homegrown trailers is a manufacturer of, you know, essentially a travel trailer, um, but think of it like a tiny house um, that has all of the um, creature comforts that you might find in a tiny house, but in something that's truly portable. Um, and, and we built the product with the idea of competing with the RV marketplace, not really realizing that the, the true opportunity was to provide people with experiences um, and not, you know, the the vessel or the, the vehicle, if you will, to get them out into, into nature, but providing that kind of end-to-end -end experience. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting that in life, Jake and I work a lot on the ideas of transformational travel. And, and in life, there are a lot of these kind of transformational moments that obviously he and I have had and, and people who are part of this network have had um, that lead us down one pathway. And I, I have to tell you one more story because um, it was a very transitional moment that I think has brought us to, to where we are now. Um, this was back in 2015. Um, and I was at the time running a sustainability consulting firm um, focusing on helping nonprofits and um, corporate campuses, um, city governments to develop sustainability strategies, implement those, showcase their success. Um, you know, all of this um, kind of stemming off of what I have done in the, in the past. And I was asked to give a keynote presentation at a sustainable design and development conference. And we were focusing on resilient infrastructure. So um, building buildings, designing communities around the idea of how are we going to be resilient to climate change and the ongoing impacts of climate change? 
And so I spent weeks putting together this presentation about what was going on globally, um, impacts that communities had experienced or nations had experienced, how they were redesigning, rebuilding, and how they were planning for the future to be more resilient, um, given the impacts that will happen from climate change. And at the end, I showed a slide of the side project, which was the, the prototype homegrown trailer. We didn't know it was going to be a prototype at that point. It was just a fun side project, but I called it the green trailer project and talked about how I had built this to kind of exemplify my commitment to traveling and getting out in nature in a sustainable way and um, having something for my family. If we ever impact a, a net or we're impacted by a natural disaster, that we'd have a way to, to safely get out of town and, and get out of Seattle if needed. Uh, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm a closet prepper with a, a sustainable <laughs> twist. I'm not sure. Um, but, um, but, you know, it was just, for me, it was just a, a little kind of end to the story. But over the next two days at the conference, everyone who came up to me wanted to talk about the trailer and not about this presentation that I had done talking about, you know, all of these big initiatives around the world. And I thought, man, maybe, maybe there's something else here to this little, little side project. Um, and, and, and that's, that's what kind of propelled me forward to, um, to launch homegrown trailers and be able to, to provide this product and this, this opportunity to give people experiences, not knowing once again, that that was going to propel me down the pathway of, of launching Rome beyond years later. Yeah, that's really, really cool. And anyone who hasn't seen these trailers needs to look them up because they're just, they're really captivating and, uh, just call out for adventure just makes me want to get in one. So I like that tagline calling out for adventure. That's, that's exactly what they do. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe tell us a little bit more about how you got connected with Jake and um, what led from having this cool trailer to um, creating these, these places and uh, experiences for people. I think Jake and I um, led very parallel paths for, for many, many years and probably should have connected much, uh, much sooner than we did. But, you know, as, as with all things in life, it connected don't happen until they happen. Um, so we had we had launched homegrown trailers in 2016, and the the two things that we were going to focus on was building a fleet for rentals, um, so that people who couldn't um, afford or didn't have the means or didn't really, frankly, want to purchase um, had the ability to rent one and hitched up to their vehicle and tow it and take it someplace fun and have have that adventure and, and have that immersive experience. We did a really good job of building out resources and trip ideas and and all of those pieces. Um, and then the other piece of the business was building and, and selling to, to individual customers. Um, well, two things happened where Jake and I connected um, through that process. One was um, we were sending a lot of people out to the Olympic Peninsula um, on trips um, and out to Olympic National Park from Seattle. Um, and Jake was running a company at the time called Evergreen Escapes that ran day and multi-day adventures um, that would, um, a lot of them that were centered around the Peninsula and the Olympic National Park. Um, and their biggest pain point as a business was lack of um, appropriate lodging. And this is, this is now, you know, the pain point that we're trying to solve for the adventure travel industry and, and for, for individuals in general is that a lot of these amazing natural destinations that people go to, they have an option to um, stay at the very, very limited um, lodging opportunities like national park lodges um, or other very unique um, lodges that have been around for a long, long time that are kind of grandfathered in. Um, or hop in a car or a van or a tour bus um, or whatever it might be and drive hours and stay at a super eight motel somewhere you know outside of of that area where they're exploring um and jake was really passionate about trying to find ways to um to develop lodging right there near recreation so people could 
you know, literally get done with a hike and then have a place to stay and, and the campfire experience and that whole experience, but something that was a little bit more elevated and more comfortable than the tent camping experience. Um, so he and I put heads together um, in our, our first year of um, running rentals with homegrown trailers, but just realized there wasn't quite enough demand just with his business. Um, and we weren't really in a position to try and aggregate a bunch of different tour operators um, and providers to, to offer, you know, lodging out in, in that particular area. Um, but we vowed to keep in touch because we knew that we had, you know, connected and, and that there was a, um, a great opportunity for us to, to probably work together in the future. Well, fast forward a couple of years, um, in 2017, we did, um, uh, a, a survey of all of our followers for homegrown trailers and, and ask them, what was it that you love about what we do? What do you love about the product? What do you love about um, the business? Um, and essentially trying to find out if the, the sales market was as big as we thought it was. And overwhelmingly, the response came back and we got literally thousands of responses to the survey. The responses came back saying, love what you do, love the, the handcrafted um, aspect, love the sustainable aspect of it, um, love the fact of getting out into nature um, in a way that is, um, is responsible and, and in, in something, staying in something that, that kind of replicates nature and is made with natural products versus a traditional RV. But we don't really want to buy it. Um, we don't want to tow it. We don't have a tow vehicle. You know, we don't want to own a tow vehicle. We own a Prius and we live in the city. We don't want to, we don't want to own a tow vehicle. Um, we don't want to store it and maintain it, do all those things. And I remember looking at my business partner at the time saying, I, th I think we, I think we started the wrong business. <laughs> um, and realizing that we, to be successful, probably had to make a pretty dramatic change. Um, so we made a commitment and over that year, we designed our new larger Timberline model, which, you know, if you look at the marketing for Rome Beyond, that is the, that is the, the lodging unit, the cabin, the dwelling, the camper, whatever people call it, they call it a lot of different things um, that, that you will stay in when you come to Rome Beyond. Um, but we designed that specifically with lodging in mind. Um, so just enough space in the closet to hang your, your clothes for a, a few day trip, um, a spot for your roller bags to slide underneath the bed, um, just the amenities you need, enough space in the refrigerator for food for a few days, um, but lots of counter space for entertaining and preparing food and um, really good natural light for, um, for connecting with the outdoors. Um, and I spent the better part of 2017 into early 18, 2018 out on the road doing business development, um, talking with national parks, um, with um, small kind of boutique resorts, with wineries, um, with concessionaires and lodging providers, um, with the idea of selling you know, bulk units to these entities that would buy them and then offer them as lodging themselves. Um, and I'll say everybody fell in love with what we're doing. Once again, they loved the concept, they loved the, the product, um, it fit a really specific niche for them. But at the end of the day, everyone only needed it seasonally. Um, and I'll, I'll never remember or never forget my, my conversation with Yellowstone National Park and with the um, director of lodging. And she said, you know, for years, we've been looking for something that um, we can put into our campgrounds because we know we're missing out on a huge opportunity by not offering something more elevated than RV spots and tent spots. Um, but for Yellowstone, they need something that runs off the grid because there's not power available. Um, something that is hard sided um, that bears are not gonna get into. So that cancels out the canvas tent um, piece something that is low impact, that's not gonna have an impact on the landscape and something they can move off of the property seasonally because Yellowstone campgrounds are closed in the winter time um, and they, they need to put everything in storage or away. And she said, until you came on the scene, we didn't even know that that existed. And, and really in many ways it didn't exist before we developed the homegrown trailer. 
She said, but it doesn't make sense for us to buy them. Can you lease them to us for five to six months out of the year? And I thought, man, <laughs> how, how am I going to make this work? This is, this is a, you know, a really challenging thing to look at a bunch of seasonal leases for, um, for these different entities. And, and so that's when I called Jake and I said, Jake, you know, tourism, you know, travel. Um, I think, I think there's an opportunity that I'm missing and I'm not sure how to put these pieces together. So this was the, the fall of 2018 and Jake and I um, had a couple two hour um, strategy sessions and, and in a very, very short time, just a matter of weeks, realized that there was a monumental opportunity for us to jump into a new space collectively. And that was to offer seasonal migratory um, pop-up lodging and lodging around outdoor recreation areas and other places where traditional lodging was not viable. It didn't pencil because of the seasonality. Um, from an impact standpoint, um, there was no ability to build lodging in these areas, but there was such a need and such a demand um, to provide lodging in these unique remote off-grid, um, um, even more sensitive areas. Um, and so we very quickly, in a matter of months, um, raised initial capital and um, launched the business. I mean, this went from idea to business to having people on site um, in about six months um, from fall of 2018 to, to early spring of, of 2019. So it was a very quick evolution, but you know, Jake and I are both big time uh, visionaries and and luckily very well connected and were able to pull together a lot of resources in a very short time frame. And so that's that's how Rome Beyond was born. It's a really cool story. I, I love the particularly the part about how you surveyed uh, your customers and and you learned a lot of new information about that and realize, like you said, you're in the wrong business. Um, and it, it kind of forced you to pivot and to change, like you said. And I love, I think that that's a really important step for um, any business really um, to be able to do that. We do, we do surveys and things like that with a lot of our um, clients when it comes to, you know, the perceptions and the needs of the market and things like that. So I, I love that you went through that process. Um, and I think that's something that, every every person could learn from um so that's really cool yeah i think i think too many i think too many organizations um feel like they're they're being too vulnerable or maybe um saying we don't we, we don't we don't know if we're doing the right thing to the world and to their their collective followers or fan base but people love providing feedback especially when asked to provide feedback um and i feel like every time we've done a survey, whether it was with Homegrown Trailers or with Rome Beyond, we've learned so much, um, so much more than we would have anticipated, especially if you ask some very pointed questions and allow people to, to pick you know, a drop-down answer, but then giving people the chance to provide some open-ended feedback, um, I, you're gonna learn things you never would have imagined you would have learned. So you know, I guess for, for those entrepreneurs and others who are, who are kind of struggling with, am I doing the right thing? Like I have, a, I have an inkling, um, there's a book um, called the, I think the natural history of um, innovation by Stephen Johnson. Um, and he talks about something there called a slow hunch where like over months or even years, you feel like, like there's something different, something else you should be focusing on. Um, and sometimes it takes that, that aha moment. And for, for me over the years, I think those, those surveys have been that aha moment that I felt like, like in my bones that something should be run differently or operated differently. And once you get that validation from your customer base and your followers, um, then it's very easy to make the decision to, to move in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, that's so important. It sounds like um, over since you guys launched Rome Beyond, that you know, obviously, it seems like travelers and consumers, um, as you kind of alluded to, are responding very well to what the concept is. I know that um, you know over the last few years, this idea of sustainability and and you know more conscious travel. 
Um, a lot of people view that as like a trend, I think. Um, sure. I mean, do you view do you view it as a trend or do you view it as more than just a trend? It's it's a really it's a really good question because I in fact we were Jake and I were just talking about this with um, with a group of our investors last week as we were talking about kind of the next phase for the company and, and where we're headed. Um, that and Jake hates the word. Well, maybe I shouldn't say hate, but dislikes the word trends because. Um, Oftentimes when we talk about things trending, um, it's something that's going to go away fairly soon. Um, you know, if it's a, if it's some, something on Instagram or something on, I've got two girls, young girls, so TikTok, you know, there's, there's all these things that trend, but in a matter of weeks, they're gone. Um, and I think the difference between um, a trend and what we're seeing is that, that I think we're seeing a progression towards, towards mainstream. And that's obviously, as an entrepreneur, that's where you want to be. You know, that's where investors want you to be, is moving towards something that is becoming mainstream um, and becomes kind of integrated into our lives. I, you know, when I when I look at and the idea of trends, um, I, I hearken back on the term LOHAS. And I don't know if you guys have ever, ever heard that. There used to be an organization called the LOHAS Group um, that was um, kind of a demographic-focused organization. Um, I think they, they kind of went away a few years ago because... The LOHAS has become mainstream. And LOHAS stood for Lifestyles of Health and Sustainability. Um, and it was a whole set of demographics of this emerging population of people who wanted organic foods and fleece jackets made out of 100% recycled bottles and, and, and all of those pieces that, you know, groups like Whole Foods and Patagonia and others, you know, really pushed on in the early 2000s and now have become mainstream. I mean, you, you can go to an outdoor gear store and you can find five different manufacturers that you can buy clothing from that's made out of 100% recycled plastic bottles. Um, you know, Patagonia was the pioneer, but now it's become mainstream. So it wasn't, it wasn't a trend. It, it is now just the way that clothing is made. The same with organic food and non-GMO and sustainably harvested foods. Um, you know, um, a lot of small co-ops um, and then Whole Foods were really um, kind of the driving force behind that. And it was very much seen as a trend, but, but now it is, it is mainstream. Um, you know, I look back at when I went to the, um, Eugene, Oregon um, in the late 90s for, uh, for my bachelor's, um, it was really the first time that I was exposed to the co-op and the natural food grocery store. Um, and granted, there were some fringe ones in Seattle, but nothing, nothing in my neighborhood, nothing that I frequented. You know, I was going to Albertsons and Safeway and QFC for, for my groceries um, before I before I went to Eugene. But in Eugene, it was it was almost mainstream. I mean, you, you know, <clears throat> the all of the grocery stores around campus, um, everywhere where I and my friends shopped when I was in college, um, was at the natural food store. Um, and it's just it was what you did. And interestingly enough, when I came back to Seattle, um, met my wife Heidi, and and, and uh, we got married. We bought a house in the Green Lake neighborhood, um, which was about five blocks from the first Whole Foods that opened in Seattle. And that became, you know, uh, a mainstay in our lives. We did almost all of our grocery shopping at Whole Foods, um, and um, and that just became part of our life. That was, you know. We had an expectation that we could get organic food, we could get sustainably harvested fish, um, we could get all of those items, and. And obviously that, you know, for me, that, that continues today. Um, and I think we're seeing the same with travel. The, the difference with travel is that travel is so comprehensive. Um, you know, it's not just selecting foods or it's not just selecting a fleece jacket. It's all about um, the entire experience end to end. How do you travel to get there? Where do you stay when you're there? What types of activities do you take part in? Is the hotel that you're staying in providing you with um, towels made out of organic cotton. I mean, all, there are all these layers of complexity to how sustainable is this experience. But consumers have an expectation that they can start to find 
the Whole Foods of travel or the Patagonia of travel, where they don't have to think um, about whether or not this is sustainable, responsible, ethical, um, that it, it just is because the company has been built around those concepts. And, and for us with Roam Beyond, you know, that's really what we want to do is we want to build an experience, build partnerships, um, build tools and resources so that from end to end, people can truly have a sustainable, responsible, ethical, um, and in many ways, as we're moving forward, regenerative travel experience. Um, and so I think, I, I don't think it's a trend. Um, if it was a trend, I, I, I don't think I would be trying to do what I'm doing and trying to, to raise investment to do what we're doing and to, to push on so many levers to make all this happen. Um, I truly think in the next decade, we're gonna see that, that sustainable, um, conscious travel, um, transformational, regenerative travel, all of those things are very much becoming mainstay in people's lives, depending on what they're looking for and what they what they want. Um, just as, you know, as Whole Foods and, and Patagonia have, have, have done the same in, in, um, in what they've been able to accomplish. Um, and on top of that, the work that Jake, uh, my business partner is doing with developing the Transformational Travel Council, this, this consortium of global leaders um, thinking about um, the next phase of travel um, and how do we really transform the landscape of travel? How do we transform or allow travelers to have an opportunity to transform themselves as they come out and have these experiences. It's critical that you have providers out there that are offering that end-to-end -end experience that kind of hits all the tenants um, that people are looking for um, so that one, they can do it in a responsible way and two, they don't have to think as much. They can truly go out and immerse themselves in that experience and know that it's going to hit the mark on, on what they expect. Um, but it's going to take time. You know, it's it's years away from it being fully mainstream, um, but I think I think with the pandemic, we're seeing a lot of that expedited. And I think you know across the board, we're seeing some major changes within our, our world um, due to the pandemic. And I think travel is is one of those things that's going to change um, exponentially in the years to come. Whereas had the pandemic not happened, it might have still continued to be an incremental change. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and you know, we just spoke with Mona Levitska from the Transformational Travel Council a couple episodes ago, and it was really. Mona's wonderful. Yeah, it was great to hear like the vision and things like that, that you know, how they're pushing this movement forward. And it's, and, you know, we agree. I think I agree with you. You know, it's more than a trend for sure, or it should be, especially. So that's really cool to, to hear your viewpoint on that too. Thank you. Yeah, Corey, I'm curious more from the operations and uh, practical side, like, does is Rome beyond purchasing property and rolling these in, or is it? is a, a lease situation. Um, you mentioned like Yellowstone and national parks. Is it something where you can sign a lease and bring in um, these units and, and start going from there? What does that look like? It's, it's definitely an evolution for us as a company, but primarily our focus is to identify um, land that's either not currently being used um, and is owned by somebody um, or is, um, is being used in, in a way that um, could be used more, uh, more responsibly, um, uh, more sustainably, um, and or um, you know by by more people who um, are willing to pay a little bit of a premium to have an experience that drives improvements to that property and drives um, you know kind of the stewardship of of the that, those properties and those locations. Um, so we break our our portfolio now and and into the future down into to two categories. Um, there is the the, the remote. Um, off the grid um, rural experience, which is around um, outdoor um, destinations and, and recreation destinations. And most of those are seasonal. So, you know, looking at say a spot like Olympic National Park is really late April until early October is the um, 
is kind of the, the timeline in which um, in which people are going to be having that experience. You look at some place like Tucson or Sedona, and it's very much the opposite of that. Um, so you have that that winter experience and that uh, um, that that time of year that it's more desirable to go to those locations. So um, we're building a portfolio and and a network and um, and really a, a seasonal migratory pattern, since we like to use natural terms, um, of of how our inventory moves um, around a geography. Um, so that it can be in the right place at the right time. Um, and that also, you know, doesn't doesn't just mean to provide people lodging when they want to be there, but for us, um, it also means from a, a financial standpoint, putting our assets to work um, at the right time of year um, in the right place. And I think the biggest challenge with glamping is that glamping, for the most part, is very seasonal and it's very time intensive to set up um, and to um, and to to take down and to make those seasonal changes. And on top of that, you have a lot of seasonal employees, which is a hard thing on an annual basis to hire um, a seasonal team and ensure the level of customer service that you want. So our, our goal is that our inventory um, has a little bit of downtime, typically in October and April um, or November and April. Um, and outside of that, we are moving and setting up our next site and, and launching our, um, our next uh, experience in our next location. Um, and with that, um, having both team that works in more of an administrative capacity um, that can can be deployed out to um, sites as needed, but then um, our site management teams that will move with the seasons as well and are interested in and enjoy living that lifestyle um, where they get to kind of live in two different areas throughout the year and and manage uh, manage those sites. So I say that for every four or five sites um, that we, we launch, um, most of them are going to be within that remote um, and, and seasonal um, capacity. And then one will be a flagship site. And so we just launched, um, as you guys are probably aware, our first flagship site in Montana. Um, and the flagship site will be year round. And the uniqueness of where we are in Montana in the Flathead Valley um, near Glacier National Park um, is that there is a very strong winter um, um, uh, contingent, people who are skiing at Whitefish Mountain, um, people who are snowshoeing and cross-country skiing in Glacier National Park. You know, they close the road, you can actually snowshoe and cross-country ski up um, going to the Sun Road. Um, in the next probably six to eight weeks, they're going to open it to cycling. Um, so before they open it to cars, you can actually go and cycle um, up that road, which is just absolutely amazing. It is a breathtaking road in general, um, but biking up it is, is phenomenal. Um, and then it will turn resume to, to general operations in the summer. But we have, um, you know, there's so much opportunity um, in that area year round that it makes sense for us to have a flagship location. And then our flagship locations let us um, um, kind of centralize our workforce for our remote locations as well. So whether it's for repairs, um, for research and development on new solar technology, new battery technology, we can do all of that in a more controlled environment at the flagship location and then more effectively so, um, support our, our remote locations. So we have, you know, in our business plan, a whole idea of where where our next three or four flagship locations will will be, and and what our remote locations will look like around those um, as we as we move forward. Um, so, um, primarily, we're leasing property, and so um, it's it's we've we've done both private um, landowners as well as public entities. Um, leasing and operating inside a national park um, is a multi-year process um, and it's something we have been working on since 2018 um, and we're now um, kind of moving into um, some more robust conversations around what that will look like um, and I think the, the the beauty of that is that it allows the national park system to offer a little bit more of a controlled experience for people as they come in and a little bit more of an elevated experience 
the concern that I have, and I know the national parks have as well, is that we don't want it to be so comprehensive that it um, it takes away the opportunity for people who maybe can't afford to do um, that type of an experience from having the experience. I mean, national parks and state parks and others are for everyone, and so we have to make sure that that's um, that's accessible to everyone. Um, so very much something that's on our mind, but. Um, but we will we will continue to focus on the least um, seasonal locations and um, and build our portfolio of um, of these flagship properties. And there are a number of ways for structuring the the flagship properties, um, whether Rome Beyond is purchasing or or partnering with a real estate um, development group or launching an LLC that would purchase the the property. Um, it it kind of depends on what's right in terms of timing for for the company as we grow and and the best way to access capital, uh, which I feel like I'm getting a uh, an MBA and, and investments um, right now in terms of all the conversations we're having around those pieces because um, it's such a it's such an intricate um, part of, of the business and, and the opportunity for us from a growth standpoint. Fortunately, I love it, um, but um, but uh, it's it's a lot to take on with everything else going on within the company right now as well. I got to say, just this concept, um, I know it kind of took a while to get to where you're at and some different iterations, but it did. I think where you're at is genius. The, Thank you. the mobility, the sustainability, um, following migratory patterns and um, just making efficient use of the human resources. Um, I'm, I'm kind of blown away at, at how all of this has come together. It's, it's really impressive. Well, and I'll, I'll layer in one more thing, which I think is going to be really exciting, is that we are looking at doing some pop-up um, short-term weeks um, um, of, of experiences um, this year as well, just because COVID has presented so many interesting and unique challenges that we feel the need to be a little bit more nimble. Um, but I'm kind of excited about what that may hold for the future. Um, you know, as we get back to concerts and festivals, um, having the opportunity to have a pop-up experience there, um, as we get back to some very, very seasonal things like harvest time in wine country. I don't know if you guys have ever been to wine country in California, Washington, or, or Texas during, during harvest time, but it's a really fun and unique time to be in that area. Um, there is never close to enough lodging in those areas during those time periods. Um, so, you know, how we can offer um, short-term pop-up lodging um, in those areas that doesn't necessitate, necessitate somebody actually having to try and build lodging and keep that going year round is, is super exciting for us. That's awesome. It's been really cool to hear uh, all of the stories and all of the thinking that, that's gone into this, uh, this concept and this experience that's uh, so unique. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us. One final question yeah. um, as we wrap this up, uh, you know, obviously the name Future Hospitality Podcast, we always like to ask, the guests um, that we have, we speak with, you know, what they're excited about as it relates to um, travel, tourism, hospitality, or uh, whether it's personally or with your business. Um, so, what other things you already mentioned? You know, kind of alluded to one just a moment ago. But do you have any other things on in the horizon that you're really excited about in terms of where we're where we're headed as a company? Yeah, company or personally, either one. You know, for me, I think what's most fulfilling about the work that, that I do and, and my team and I do is, is being able to provide um, people with um, experiences that, that create those lifelong memories. Um, you know, some of my best experiences in, in life are, um, are camping, being outdoors, um, adventuring with friends, with family. Um, and, and those are things that stick with you for a long time. Um, I think at this point, in the evolution of our world um, coming out of a pandemic, um, that desire is going to be stronger than ever. Um, 
people have been, um, as we all know, quarantined and, and cooped up and within their quarantine bubble um, for almost a year now. Um, and the desire to get back out and travel um, is, is, is pretty strong. Um, we're seeing, you know, we get the, these weekly trends from a company called Descom, Destination Analysts, and they're really looking at the global uh, global trends of travel and, and the, the desire and the comfort are really starting to, to come back in terms of travel. But people are going to make major changes to where they go and what they do. Um, and being outdoors, being naturally socially distant, um, being exposed to um, uh, those wide open spaces where they're not as many people as if you went to Las Vegas or the Eiffel Tower um, are really, really desirable. Um, and I think they're gonna be even more desirable. My concern is that what happens if these natural areas get overrun um, and especially overrun with people who haven't had experience traveling in those areas and don't know how to be um, responsible, don't know how to you know, kind of bring the right ethics to, to that experience. They're gonna need guide, they're, they're gonna need their guidance and support. Um, to do it appropriately. I'm really excited for Romeon to be able to play that role, um, to offer people um, a safe, educational, um, somewhat curated experience um, near these, these unique natural destinations, um, because I think that's gonna be better for everyone. Um, Glacier National Park, um, just uh, their superintendent just um, gave a, a presentation talking about what to expect for this summer. And um, he has two major concerns. One is that October of this last year was the busiest month ever for Glacier National Park in the history of the park. Um, because people wanted to travel, they were finally comfortable traveling again, but they wanted to get out into these wide open spaces. So they decided to hop in the car and drive to Glacier National Park versus the trips they had planned. That's overwhelming to the park system and they're going to need support both from lodging and, and logistics and otherwise so we see <clears throat> that we can we can play a role in helping to promote more responsible tourism um, as people are getting out into these these natural areas um, <clears throat> so that's that's a huge um, opportunity for us as a business um, but from an ethos standpoint in terms of what we're trying to accomplish um, the more people we feel like we can immerse in nature and and in some ways be that catalyst for change um, on a mainstream level. Um, if we can do that and scale our business effectively, we have, we have done more than I could ever hope for with the business. Um, just like people going into a Whole Foods and going, oh, I didn't know I could actually buy that that was produced in a responsible way or came from an organic um, source. Um, we wanna provide the same to people when they come and stay with us. That, oh, I can travel, I can adventure, um, I can stay in a way that is sustainable, um, is responsible, um, is you know, connected with and doesn't have an adverse impact on the community in ways that maybe they never would have thought of. Um, but we get to be that educational conduit to them to hopefully allow them to return to their lives back home um, with some ideas and maybe some changes they can make in their lives um, to be better members of their local and global communities um, because of the experience they've had and because of the the curated experience and the education we've been able to provide to them when on, on site. So, you know, I think we have a huge opportunity right now to, to build a really successful, sustainable, or sorry, scalable business, but do it in a sustainable way and do it in a responsible way um, and be truly, a, you know, um, a net positive add to, to the local and global communities where we operate. That's my, that's my, my vision on the future. That's awesome. Yeah, I can't wait to see uh, where you and Jake and Rome Beyond uh, go from this point. And I'm excited to, to follow along. And Corey, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a great pleasure having you on the podcast. Thank you both for having me. I appreciate you allowing me to, to tell the story and, and, uh, 
and, and think through some of these, these next phases um, for the company along with you guys. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. If you'd like to learn more about Longitude, you can visit longitudebranding.com to see our portfolio of design work, read our insights blog, and learn more about our team. You can also find us on Instagram and Facebook by searching for Longitude Branding.